Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. January is the traditional month in the Northern Hemisphere for organising your summer holiday. And this week, we're back talking to someone who specialises in creating holidays that are entirely different. Taking you to places you probably thought were out of bounds to all tourists. Places that, while they're not actual war zones, a visit here may well carry a security risk, or at least a perceived one. Swapping Sardinia for Syria, or Andalusia for Afghanistan, or even Ibiza for Yemen, might well not be everyone's choice. Hey, if this is for you, then James is your man. So, James Wilcock, welcome back. Now, your company, Untamed Borders, takes people to the most extraordinary places in the world, the kind of places where tourists don't normally go. Now, we talked to you before about skiing in remote corners of the world, like Afghanistan, but now we want to talk about your mainstream bits, what the other things you do. If I want to go to some far-flung corner of the world, you can get me there, even though that country is not a normal tourist destination. Is that right? Um, Up to a point, yes. I mean, I think what we like to think we do is organise travel and logistics in parts of the world that it might not be possible for people to do independently, or certainly not easy to do independently. The whole of the Untamed Borders team, we love travelling independently, but there's some parts of the world where you need a bit of help, and that's kind of where we think we add a bit of value. So yeah, we guide tourists and professional people across anywhere from the Middle East, uh, the Caucasus, Central Asia, North, East and Central Africa. So any sort of region or country in that area that you wanted to do something, whether it's join one of our group trips, whether it is a private trip or whether you wanted to do a project there, it could be a, a media project, it could be some other kind of project, we would probably be a good place to start. Absolutely. So the group trips, are they organised with a guide or that sort of thing? So the group so the group trips, so we, we run maybe 25, 30 trips a year that are set on specific dates. They're small numbers, so it's usually between sort of seven and ten people on those trips. The majority are with an international guide, or they are with a, a local guide, and they are yeah visiting the parts that quite a few people would like to see. So they're kind of highlight trips of the places. So we we have we have group group trips in in Pakistan, in Tajikistan, Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Yemen, in Syria, in Libya, Algeria, Somalia, a lot of places where we have, you know, a reasonable amount of demand and it makes sense for us to put on a group trip. So yeah, it would be it would be with a guide, sometimes with an international guide as well, or sometimes just with a guide from the country we visit. If I'm a, a traveller who has been everywhere, done everything, where would you think I should go to that normally you wouldn't even be able to get in there without your help? If you've done everything and seen everything, you probably just stay at home and watch the cricket or something like that. I don't know. I think that, I mean, the reason we, we, as I said, I think the reason we exist is to organise things that people would find difficult to organise independently. And that can be because a place is very remote. So we organise, you know, trekking trips in very remote areas where logistical support is needed. Sometimes it's due to permits and and visas and permissions that it's not very very easy for people just to turn up and, and guide. They need that kind of bureaucratical support. But I think the area over the years, uh, the 15 years of, of, of untamed borders, where we're probably most known is where there is a higher security risk or at least a perceived security risk. 
So probably the places where we're most known for maybe are the trips that we do to Afghanistan. We've been working there for 15 years. We've done all sorts of trips there, developed different types of tourism there. We talked about skiing on the last time I was here, but we helped organize uh, the marathon from Afghanistan there, which was the first and only mixed gender sporting event that Afghanistan's ever held. We, we ran that for six years and we've developed horse riding trips, kayaking trips, all sorts of stuff in Afghanistan. So I'd say probably if there was one place that we're most well known for, if we were known for anything, it would be would be to Afghanistan. The kayaking is is that sort of on what sort of river or white water or so we had some yeah, this is a, a sort of typical request. So we had some guys that I knew who had kayaked in uh, in the in northern Pakistan and they asked me about wanting to do a, a trip in um, in Afghanistan. And I don't know when this was, 2016, 2017, I can't remember exactly. And um, we identified a couple of places where we thought from a security perspective they would be able to kayak and so in the end they kayak the length of the, the Panjshir Valley which is maybe a couple of hours north of Kabul they made a little documentary about it as well which I'm sure, I think if they google kayaking Afghanistan there's not so many uh, YouTube videos so I'm sure they can find it quite quite easily we'll put it in there with the transcript on our sure. website actionpacktravel.com so you'll be able to see it there it's not like Yemen I mean very few people of tourists have been there how did you get into the subject altogether of taking people to Yemen well, we've been working for a while. I mean, Untamed Borders began guiding tourists in Pakistan and Afghanistan. So it began with a, a, an Afghan chap, a Pakistani chap and, and myself, and they worked predominantly with professional people, but they, they worked with tourists quite a bit and they wanted to do more tourist work. So that's sort of how Untamed Borders began. And because I ended up spending quite a lot of time in Afghanistan, we developed a lot of connections with people in the uh, d- international development world and in the sort of conflict media world. And so we began offering trips to other parts of the Middle East and Central Asia and, and, and Africa where it was probably quite hard to organize or there was a security risk or a perceived security risk. And by extension, people were interested in going to Yemen. So we expanded our contacts and and now we run trips regular trips both group trips and private trips to Socotra which is an island off the coast of uh, the south of Yemen kind of like the Galapagos of the Middle East it has a lot of uh, endemic and indigenous uh, plants and wildlife but we also organize uh, some trips to the the mainland of Yemen predominantly in the Hadramut region which is in the east of the country which by and large has escaped the conflict which has pretty much been restricted to the to to the west of the country where the most of the population is. So we got into it by demand and by the fact that we knew if we had guests that liked to visit Afghanistan and Iraq and, and, and Syria and Libya, then they would probably be interested in seeing some of the amazing sites and experiences that can be found in Yemen. So on the mainland, Yemen, what is there to see? What sort of things would people go and look at? The areas that we go to, probably the highlight of the trip is definitely, I mean, it's the Hadramut uh, Valley. So Yemen for, I don't know, centuries, millennia has always been a huge, a, a, a trading place. The, the trade between Europe, sort of 2000, Europe and India 2000 years ago was, was controlled by people that lived along the coastline of, of the Red Sea and the Horn of Africa. And if you ever go to Aden or Al Mukalla on the coast, it's extremely humid. And it's it's quite uncomfortable to live. But if you go inland, it's very dry. And so the people who created this wealth built their palaces and their cities inland in the Hadramut Valley. And so one of the places there called Shibam, if you Google it, S-H-I-B-A-M, uh, it's known as like the Chicago or the Manhattan of the desert. So it's this square city 
with 13, 14, 15 storey high mud sort of skyscrapers. And the advantage of having these extremely tall, whenever you've been in a, in, a, in, a, in a city which has extremely tall buildings, you often feel the wind whipping between the buildings. It can actually be quite cool. So that's why they built it like this, so they could live in the desert and have this sort of air moving through the city to keep themselves cool. And it's and it's still there. I mean, this city is seven, 800 years old and is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And it's fabulous to visit it and a privilege to visit it without there being any other tourists there. So that's just one highlight of this area of the Hadramut, which had sort of incredible wealth seven, eight hundred years ago and has these wonderful mud-built villages and towns to visit. And Syria, again, we, we think of Syria and, and been a war zone for so long now, but there are parts of Syria that are relatively untouched by the war, right? Yeah, I mean, Damascus itself wasn't touched dramatically by the conflict of, of the last sort of 12 years within Syria. It's really relatively stable at the moment with Syria. So the areas that we visit are well within the government controlled areas and have been sort of pretty stable for a number of years now. Again, Syria has a number of UNESCO sites. It also has these crusader forts like the Crack de Chevalier. Damascus itself is one of these wonderful Middle Eastern cities that's kind of as old as time itself with the Umayyad Mosque and, and all of the other stuff there. So the, the, there's always a great amount of interesting stuff to see in Syria. Yeah, because I hear it's very, there's sort of classical architecture. Is there Roman architecture as well? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the Roman Empire spread throughout the, the Middle East. So there's a lot of Roman sites. Yeah, sites from that period, sites from the Umayyad period where the Islamic world was ruled from Damascus. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to see. And then Somalia, another another semi-permanent war zone as it appears to be these days. But that's, again, a place you can visit. Well, Somalia is, 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 is split quite a lot. I mean, probably the most secure part of Somalia is Somaliland, which broke away from Somalia maybe 30 years ago, has its own government, has its own military, has its own currency, is basically a de facto independent country and is, has been pretty secure for for a number of years now. And probably the highlight of going to Somaliland are these 6,000-year-old cave paintings at, at Lascale, which are probably some of the most impressive cave paintings in, in all of Africa, I would argue. Um, and so, yeah, there, there, there's, there's, there's plenty of interesting stuff to see there. But you said you dealt with conflict media. Isn't that taking cameramen and journalists to places where there's a conflict? No, no, I said I had um, contacts in, in, in sort of conflict media. So oh, I would okay. develop uh, the knowledge and the contacts and the experience and understanding how things worked in places uh, which we would then train our local guides with, which we would um, use best practices, which we would use for sort of risk assessments. And we we generally don't take people, when we work with media, it's, it's not a kind of frontline experience, but it might be working on a documentary in a sort of post-conflict area. So we've worked in um, documentaries in Afghanistan. We worked in documentaries in Iraq. We've worked in documentaries in, in Somalia. But these are not documentaries where somebody is going to the, the front line of an active conflict. This is people doing documentaries in places where there is an increased security risk. And so we kind of manage that risk. So of all the places that you take people to, and ignoring Afghanistan, because we talked about that at length on the last episode that we did with you, is there anywhere else where you think that is absolutely amazing, that's where people should go, or your favourite place? There's some really wonderful stuff to see in Iraq, along with the Nile and the Indus Valley, was you know one of the three places where civilization began. And in addition to that, 
It was the centre of the Islamic world a thousand years ago. This was where Baghdad was had the house of knowledge and um, the Thousand and One Nights was written. And there's all this um, incredible architecture from that period as well, plus everything else in between. And I think because of how Iraq has been portrayed and because of the problems Iraq has faced in the last sort of 30 plus, 30, 40 years, a lot of that's overlooked. I think it really has has a wealth of stuff to see. It's, it's often quite a surprise for people when they go how much there is to see and, and, and how much they enjoy a trip there. When you take people trekking, what sort of places do you stay at? Is it in local houses or in hotels? Are there hotels? The areas that we organise trekking in is is in Afghanistan, southern Tajikistan, parts of Kyrgyzstan. I mean, the, most of the areas that, that we organise trekking in, it's not – Nepal, you know, this is not like a tea house route. So once we are in away from civilization, once you're away from the trailhead, we're camping. I mean, there isn't anywhere to stay. <laughs> Having said that, on all of those treks I'm talking about in Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Afghanistan, on the route to the trailheads, um, there has been some sort of tourism development projects that we like to try and support. So we use so we do stay in homestays at times. Uh, when we're in the capital cities, then we stay in hotels. When we're in the remote areas, if there's a homestay, we'll stay in a homestay. When we're in a remote area, we'll be camping. And occasionally uh, in Kyrgyzstan and in Afghanistan, where there are Kyrgyz nomadic people, we might hire a yurt or two and sleep in the yurt, uh, just A, to put some money into the local economy and also just for the experience and the comfort of the guests. How do you carry the camping equipment? On those treks, those three treks, uh, traditionally the the equipment that we need, both the tents, food, cooking equipment. I mean, these are multi-day day treks, so we'll be 10, 12 days trekking. There'll be horse horses used as pack animals. When we organize trekking, which we do sometimes in Pakistan, the tradition there is more for uh porters to be to be carrying it. So it's whatever is the traditional method of moving goods in those sort of remote areas. Yeah, everything needs to come with us and everything needs to come out as well. We don't want to leave any uh any rubbish or waste behind. How did you start all this? How did you develop the business? It began there was a, a couple of guys that became friends, uh, one from Afghanistan, one from Pakistan. They primarily worked with uh, professional people, so documentary makers or journalists or photographers, occasionally with tourists. And when we met, they were keen to do more tourism stuff. And that's kind of how we started Untamed Borders. It was a bit loose uh, to begin with for the first year, uh, but then uh, we restructured it. We registered it in the UK. And yeah, to begin with, it was in Pakistan and Afghanistan. But if someone enjoyed their time in one of those countries or both those countries, they, they wanted to go somewhere new. So it made sense to look at expanding into other areas. Yeah, that's that, that, that's how we began. I mean, as I as I said before, if we've got a name for anything, it's being able to sort of manage risk in places with uh, a security risk or a perceived security risk. But the way we we view ourselves is that we just add value to where we're best is where it's hard to organise independently, and that doesn't have to be due to a, a security thing. It can be due to permits being difficult. It can be due to logistics being difficult. It can be due to a remote area, and that's where I think people get the best from us. Have you had any moments of, of real danger with guests? We're an adventure travel company that's been running for 15 years. We've had some road traffic accidents. Uh, we've had someone break a shoulder. We've had someone had a tooth kicked out by a horse. Some people get ill on a trip. Things happen, absolutely. I mean, we, where we work as well, we've been we've had guests in cities where there has been a, an explosion or there has been an attack by an anti-government group on, a, on another part of a city. I mean, 
we've done a lot of trips to somewhere like Kabul, and that's something that occasionally happens. But we have processes in place to try and reduce the chances of our groups being in areas that are going to be targeted and also uh, protocols that if something like that happens, what we would do to uh, reduce the risk of our group being in, in the wrong place. So I'm assuming it's all adults who come. You don't get families. I mean, for the group trips, it's it's a minimum of 18. But for private trips, we've organised private trips for, for families before. We had a family going to Uzbekistan. Um, and so we put something together for them that would be interesting for them. So there was some horse riding. They stayed in some yurts. Um, I can't remember what else we did. Oh, there's a bit of climbing. No, trekking, not like not climbing, climbing, but like a trekking peak that they went to. So, yeah, I wouldn't say we're set up for for families but if you've got if people have a family and they want to go somewhere a little bit different i mean we we we've definitely organized stuff in yeah parts of central asia maybe algeria places like this we could do some really fun stuff with the family i've been to uzbekistan myself many years ago um and samarkand of course is there isn't it yeah. samarkand and tashkent those sort of places bukhara and they're all yes. very beautiful beautiful um mosques and things like that well, that was it. I mean, the classics in Uzbekistan are Samarkand, Bukhara, and Khiva, these kind of um, blue-tiled Silk Road cities. But if you've got a, a, a some sort of, a, sort of teenage, early young young teenage kids, probably there's only so much of those kind of things that they're going to enjoy. So, yeah, we we put together a few sort of more activity-based things. And there was some cooking. They did some cooking as well. They made some sort of Uzbek food as well. So we just tried to put something together for that family that would be perhaps more appropriate to their interests. I think they had a good time. So I think if you've spent a lot of holidays on the Mediterranean or in the Alps or whatever, it's it's really good to push the frontiers a bit, so to speak, or should I say push the untamed borders a bit and uh, get out and do something really different. I guess so. People have their own borders and boundaries, right? I mean, for someone that's never left the UK, I mean, going to the Alps or to the Mediterranean is pushing their borders, right? It's it's good as a human being to push it. I mean, for somebody who's travelled extensively around the world, maybe going to Syria isn't pushing their borders a bit. So I think through travel, it's it's, it's not a bad thing to to, yeah, to push your borders a bit, but that that's very much dependent on the person, right? It's not absolute on on the area. And um, we often get a lot of satisfaction out of somebody who's yeah pushing their own boundaries a little bit more than perhaps someone who's very comfortable about going to one of the places that we guide. How can people find out more? What's your website? The website is uh, www.untamedborders.com. They can email us in, at info at untamedborders.com. And we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Untamed Borders. So you can see what we're getting up to there. And yeah, I mean, see what we're doing. Any questions, just uh, just let us know. I just have one question. Uh, insurance becomes increasingly difficult for all kinds of travel these days. And presumably, you need some very specialist insurance companies, which I presume you have a list of, in order to find policies for your guests. Yeah, I mean, basically, most travel insurance becomes null and void if you travel somewhere that has a, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if it's a British, but an FCO or a state um, travel warning against it. So absolutely. And a num- most of the places we guide have, not all, but most of the places we guide have a FCO or state travel warning against it. But as you say, there are people insure all sorts of things. I mean, there's a lot of people travel to these to, to countries that have FCO or state travel warnings. You just have to go to that insurer. And depending on where you're from, depending on your profession, depending on the activity you're going to do, depending on the type of cover you want, 
different insurers are better at different types of things. So yeah, as you say, we um, when people look to book with us, we'll send them a an, uh, like a little information document about what all this means and a list of companies which our guests have used in the past. We're not insurance brokers, so we can't recommend anyone, but we can point people in the right direction. Great. Well, thank you very much for talking to us again today. Oh, we really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. Really interesting finding out more. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me again on the, on the podcast. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you. You are me. It's just a crazy storm.